Okay, hello everybody. Today is Wednesday. Time for the AMA. Welcome to the show. First, I would like to give a big thank you to everybody who listened to the tribute video that I did for Polly Nichols, who was the first victim in the Jack the Ripper canonical crimes, which came out yesterday. August 31st is the anniversary of her passing. And welcome to the AMA. That's the Ask Me Anything on Jack the Ripper. It's the first time that I've done one of these AMA Q&A sessions solely devoted to the Ripper, and I'm becoming more and more familiar with the material as the days go by, but of course it is a learning process. And just a couple more announcements before we get into your questions and comments. The first is that this week there will not be a regularly scheduled episode on the disappearance of Donna Lass. I've been doing a deep dive segment on what happened to Donna Lass back in 1970. She disappeared September 6, 1970 from the Sahara Tahoe Hotel and Casino in Stateline, Nevada. What happened to her is somewhat of a mystery. Maybe she was murdered by the Zodiac Killer, or perhaps it could have just been an opportunistic predator who was finding Donna Lass in, an, in a vulnerable place. So I've been doing a regular segment on Thursdays, but instead there will just be an open-ended Q&A AMA session where I'm going to be responding to many more of your comments, and it's it really is quite difficult for me to get all of the questions only on one subject because people are sending in new questions and comments all the time, and I want to respond to this. I mean, this is not work for me. This is what I genuinely like talking about, and I just get so curious about some of the things that you guys are saying, and people are sending in uh, documentaries and uh, YouTube videos to the email blackboxonlineradio at AOL.com. And I genuinely want to respond to that material. I've also been talking a lot to Soren Korsgaard and uh, Ray Grant, people who are writers who have books out on the Zodiac Killer, and I'm going to be looking at their material much more closely in the near future. But you can always get a copy of the book Killer on a White Horse by me, Ned Daham. It is a novel available on Amazon.com, and the link to that is in the description box. It's a great way to support this channel, and also you can go over to the Teespring page, have a look at some of the t-shirts and merchandise, and remember, being weird is not a crime. Now, most recently on the channel, I did an episode about Jack the Ripper that was looking at the hoax theory, and for the longest time I was thinking about putting out an episode called the Jack the Ripper hoax theory, but then I thought that really isn't a very eye-catching title, or people might just be... You ever know that feeling when someone is like, hmm, that's confusing, so I'm not going to do anything with it. So I called the episode There Was No Jack the Ripper, and um, I, I think that it went pretty well. You guys shared a lot of enthusiastic responses, so... Hopefully, there will be a few more episodes about the Ripper in the future, and I'm definitely going to be doing tribute videos to the victims of the Ripper crimes. But the confirmed victims of the Ripper that enter into what can be described as the canonical crimes are Polly Nichols, Ann Chapman, Liz Stride, Catherine Eddowes, and Mary Kelly. In 1888 in England, you have somebody not only committing murders, I mean, real people are murdered, whether you think it's the Ripper hoax theory, or you think that there is a single perpetrator, real people are murdered, and someone is writing letters taunting the police and taking credit for these activities. And I've noticed a very big consensus among Ripper scholars and Ripperologists and people looking into this case 
They don't believe that all of the communications from Jack the Ripper were written by the same person, but there are two that they view as most definitely from the same person, and that is the Dear Boss letter and the Saucy Jack postcard. I would like to begin with something from NPC Porky. I was really into reading about the Ripper before I heard about the Zodiac case. I do agree that the Dear Boss letter and the Saucy Jack postcard are hoax letters, probably from a local journalist. The name Jack the Ripper appears to me to be derived from the Victorian legend of spring Hill Jack who would try to rip his female victims with metal claws. I feel that the From Hell letter is a more genuine letter from the actual killer due to the human kidney that was sent and due to the writing being more lower class. The butcher Jacob Levy is my favorite suspect since he was a local who had anatomical knowledge to commit these murders and the STD he got could be a motive for Jacob to target prostitutes as an act of revenge. I tend to believe that Mary Kelly was not killed by Jack, but by her former lover. Don't remember his name. I hope you don't mean uh, Prince Eddie, by the way. In a fit of rage, the fact that her heart, instead of one of her kidneys, was missing makes me believe that there that was a more probable explanation. A lot of good things in this comment here. Thank you, NPC Porky. The first point that I would like to address in this one is that Absolutely, I think the From Hell letter looks quite different than the Dear Boss letter, and that's just in my own superficial observation. I'm just some guy who's looking at it. But the second point is that a journalist did confess in 1931 to forging the Dear Boss letter in the Saucy Jack postcard. His name was Fred Best. Now, the interesting thing is, though, his confession wasn't widely known at the time, and I said a lot of this in the there was no Jack the Ripper episode, it didn't become widely discussed until 1966. Can somebody tell me when the first Zodiac crime was? Was it before or after 1966? Did the Zodiac not appear until the late 1960s? I'm just saying, I'm just saying, and yes, of course, the first Zodiac crime was Lake Herman Road on December 20th of 1968, and then the letters do not come in until the summer of 1969, after the Blue Rock Springs shooting on July 4th. That's when the Zodiac Killer says, I am the murderer of the teenagers at Lake Herman last Christmas and the girl on the 4th of July. So I think you can get the idea. I'm not endorsing any type of Zodiac hoax theory. I'm just curious about it. On to the next comment. This one is from Mark Brody on that same episode. Ned, if you're really interested in getting reliable facts about Jack the Ripper, you must read Philip Sugden's book, The Complete History of Jack the Ripper. It's really the most highly regarded and authoritative book out there on the subject. He addresses all that you've discussed here in your podcast using the original police and contemporary records rather than the sensationalistic Victorian newspapers. Hey, Mark Brody, thank you so much. I would absolutely love to read that one. One more time, The Complete History of Jack the Ripper by Philip Sugden. I'm going to add that to my list. Planet X Filmworks has something here. I feel Jack wrote some of the letters, just a gut feeling. Wouldn't be surprised if one or two were fabricated, though. Absolutely, I would expect some of them were fabricated. Let's look at Jack the Ripper through a Zodiac Killer lens, because that just seems to be what I do. There are numerous correspondences that the Zodiac Killer wrote that have been authenticated by the authorities, but then there are numerous pieces of writing that are not authentic, that were blatant fabrications. I was just talking about Donna Lass to start off the episode. I genuinely believe that the card that came from Lake Tahoe that's linking Donna Lass to the Zodiac Killer 
is fake. And much like Fred Best claiming to have written the Dear Boss letter in the Saucy Jack postcard, somebody else confessed to forging the postcard the, the, that was sent from Lake Tahoe about Donalass in 1999, although I don't have that person's name. And it is posted on ZodiacKiller.com that Tom Voigt has heard the entire story about some about how somebody forged that particular card. But the interesting thing about that with Donna Lass is no specific information is connected to the victim, Donna Lass. So instead, they're like, hmm, well, who could he be talking about if this is a real co correspondence from the Zodiac Killer? Well, who who on earth could that be? And they look around crimes in the surrounding area, like, well, maybe he's talking about Donna Lass. And then later on, there is the peek through the Pines card or the, um, the one that says, uh, it's the one that addresses her by name as Saint Donna, although um, in addition to Donna Lass, it could also be referring to Donner Passage. It says Saint Donna. It, the name Donna isn't included in the letters or the postcards until after somebody already made the connection on their own, and then it's identified. It's like the authorities, the detectives, the investigators, the people who are following the case, no matter where they're from, they're stitching things together and they're connecting dots where they may not belong. And then this just keeps going on and on and on. And people are um, latching onto this and then they think, okay, well then that means that this person was definitely a victim of this serial killer, even though that could be just a fiction that somebody created and then other people ran with it and they added other fictitious details onto the subject. Now, everybody, on that note, I want you to please stay with me because this is going to sound like a really weird and twisted mental exercise, but I'm going to go back to a segment that I read last time from casebook.org. One more time, casebook.org. And this talks about the journalist Fred Best that was accused, or that, um, not accused, but he came forward and he confessed to forging two documents associated with Jack the Ripper, the Dear Boss Letter and the Saucy Jack postcard. But let's look at their writings here. And I assure you, there's a very important reason why I'm doing this. It was not until 1966 that a possible name for the author first came to light. It was published in an article in the August edition of Crime and Detection, in which the author claimed that he claims to have used a very clear and very spry and clear-minded 70-year-old ex-journalist named Frederick Best as a contact in 1931. Returning homewards with me, Best discussed the murders, the Whitechapel murders in particular, with amplifying detail. He talked of his days as a penny liner on the Star newspaper. As a freelance, he had covered the Whitechapel murders from the discovery of Tabram, that's one of the victims. He claimed that he and a provincial colleague were responsible for all of the Ripper letters to keep the business alive. The possibility of Best and company that they were all responsible for the Ripper letters is ludicrous, considering how many were sent and the various locations that they were posted from. In 2009, Andrew Cook published the name Frederick Best as being the journalist in question, although not included in the book, an alleged photograph of Best was shown in the accompanying TV documentary. Okay, that's about the Jack the Ripper hoax theory that this guy says, hey, my colleague and I came up with this stuff. We were just sending in these correspondences. Murders are happening. And, and to just give a nutshell version, the London street gangs were targeting prostitutes. They're trying to blackmail them. And if they refused to go along with what they wanted to do, then they were murdered and they were torn to pieces. They were ripped. They were eviscerated. And then these journalists are writing letters, taking credit for the crimes 
so they can create this type of uh, fake news tabloid sensation. I think you can get the idea about how about how that would have taken place, and I'm not saying that it did. I just want to focus on something very particular. And one more time, that was casebook.org. Now let's go over to a post that Tom Voigt had written at my request. I asked him if he would provide a response to the Zodiac Killer hoax theory, which has several different angles, but one possibility is that the San Francisco Chronicle, or possibly some other publications in the area, the San Francisco Examiner, the Vallejo Times-Herald, were doing the exact same thing in the 1960s, that a series of murders took place, and then someone was writing letters taking credit for it. Just let's compare these responses to the Ripper hoax theory and the Zodiac hoax theory. So, um... First of all, he says that it is a ridiculous hoax theory which was groomed at my discussion forum for years in other in oh, in order to work out as many kinks as possible. The creator of the hoax theory is so lacking in the knowledge of the case that he listed the Lake Berryessa attack as happening on September 30th instead of September 22nd, 27th. Well, I mean, I guess I'm lacking in the knowledge in the case too. I just butchered that one. Let's read that again. The creator of the hoax theory is lacking in knowledge of the case, and he listed the Lake Berryessa attack as happening on September 30th instead of September 27th. I read it that time. And he described what occurred as an abduction. Unreal. He portrays Grace Smith as some type of suspicious character who pulled the strings behind the multi-person conspiracy, which is ludicrous. Now, I don't know if Tom Voigt has read that um, response to Casebook that casebook.org posted about Jack the Ripper, but as you can see, it's a very, very similar response. The possibility that Best and Company were responsible for all the Ripper letters is ludicrous, considering how many were sent and the various locations they were posted from. So you can see that the people who are challenging these types of hoax theories are using a very particular tactic, even down to the same word. First, they're identifying it as ludicrous, and I'm not saying anything one way or the other right now, but then they say that it is impractical to think that a multi-person conspiracy behind the scenes could have been responsible for the Ripper or the Zodiac Killer. That word ludicrous, I, when I read it, I was like, where have I read that before? Oh, yes, it was in Tom Boyd's email that he had written. As I said, back in March, I think it was, I asked him if he would provide a response to the Zodiac hoax theory. Now, I think you're going to have to do a lot more than that to try and convince me that either one of these hoax theories is not true. Just to say that it is impractical that this multi-person conspiracy was working behind this, the scenes, that you had all of these suspicious characters. In all likelihood, a small group of people could have pulled off either hoax. It's just a question of, well, who, who were the exact people and what types of connections were they using? Because... You would have to believe that a Jack the Ripper hoax almost certainly would have had some type of intermediary in between the reporters and the street gangs. By that I mean an intermediary action as opposed to a person. Like, if these gangs are committing the murders and then the um, newspaper is just following them along, you'd have to think that some type of deal or alliance was created, and that's not impossible. But the thing is, we can't simply go with what theory is the best. We want to go with what theory is actually true. What is not just which one do we like the most. What actually happened back in 1888? And I would like to go to the next comment now from Jerry B. 
Jerry has followed the Ripper case very closely, and I'll be reading off several of his comments throughout this episode. And this relates to something that I said from the book The Murder Stories in the section on Jack the Ripper. The aristocrat theory didn't start in the 1960s. If you look at old newspapers and accounts or near the time of the killings, you'll see that it was a popular idea at the time, and for some years after, it was only revived in the 1960s. While I have no doubt that the letters purporting to be from the Whitechapel murderer were, for the most part, hoaxes, there is one letter that is almost certainly authentic, the From Hell letter, which showed up after the killing of Catherine Eddowes, accompanied with half a human kidney, which was medically determined to have come from a woman about 45 years old who suffered from a malady called Bright's disease. Not only did Catherine Eddowes age match the owner of the kidney, but she also was known to have suffered from Bright's disease. The length of the renal artery attached to the half-kidney matches up with the missing length left in Catherine Eddowes' body. And firstly, just to provide some context, Catherine Eddowes was murdered in what is known as the double event. On the same night, Liz Stride and Catherine Eddowes were murdered by the Ripper, and in the um, the correspondence that was mailed in, the Ripper or somebody said that the first one squealed a bit so he couldn't do his thing, and then he had to find a second victim. That also goes to show you that no matter what theory you're going with, hoax theory, aristocrat theory, single perpetrator theory, iron leather apron theory, that the mutilations are much more important than the actual murders themselves. And that's um, just an observation that I don't hear talked about too frequently. But as far as the aristocrat image, I was talking about a book called The Murder Stories, which has a section on Jack the Ripper. And the comments were about the perception that were, had been used by illustrators and artists and even cartoonists. And in the 1920s and 30s, the that book, The Murder Story, said that it was very normal for people to depict Jack the Ripper almost as a ghost, like a phantom, and there was even this supernatural element to the Ripper. But by the 1960s, artists tend to favor creating Jack the Ripper as an aristocrat, a well-dressed man. That thing you see with Jack the Ripper and the top hat became a very popular image in the 1960s. Now, that's not saying anything about a suspect or any type of theory involving the actual crimes. Those comments were only directed at artists and illustrators who chose to create a possible caricature of what the Ripper looked like. And no, I certainly don't believe that there was any type of ghost or supernatural presence. I don't even like the word supernatural, but that definitely isn't to say that any crimes were actually committed by ghosts or phantoms or something like that. That is just the way that cartoonists and illustrators and artists would have drawn the Ripper at the time. And the other um, point of that book was that from the 1960s onward, that image of Jack the Ripper in the top hat being this well-dressed aristocrat it really has stayed, and it, it hasn't really evolved too much since then. So I do appreciate Jerry's comment, though, because that was something that I hadn't really considered or thought about, that the um, that this is something that was widely publicized in 1888, and then, then it goes to the um, image of this kind of ghost-like figure in the 1920s and 30s, and then it goes back to this more human like figure in the 1960s, but I mean, 1920 to 1960, that's a period of 40 years. Now, there's also a theory that Jack the Ripper has some type of connection to the Masonic Temple. And if we go back to 
my episode on the murder of Long Liz Stride, who was the third victim in the Ripper crimes, William Kane says, All of this stuff to do with Sickard and the Masons, etc., is to be avoided at all costs. They may make for nice theories, but I'm afraid that's where the story ends. All of the Knight's rhubarb is just that. Rhubarb. And of course, some people uh, did not take very kindly to that, because that is an example of someone who isn't challenging a theory, they are dismissing it. And I meant to say this in the upcoming Q&A AMA session that's going to be happening tomorrow, but I'll say it anyway right now. And I'm not, you know, confirming or denying William Kane's theory, because I certainly don't know all the secrets of the Ripper mystery. I, I should say his dismissal rather than his theory. But back in 2018, I was just listening to a political show, and one of the hosts, Michael Brooks, said, be careful around some political commentators or politicians, because they are crafting delusional arguments so that they can have their own brand. And I'll talk more about that tomorrow, so you can always like and subscribe to follow along with these discussions. But I think that it definitely happens in the true crime world, too, beyond the political world. People are crafting delusional arguments so they can have their own brand. And they just want to be different. They want to set themselves apart from the pack. So people do come up with theories that, I mean, maybe they believe them, maybe they don't, or maybe it falls into the category of they think that it could possibly be true in some way. And they're like, hey, nobody's talked about this. I've made this original observation. Now I'm going to add 360 other pieces of filler in there to make it look like it's worthy of a book. But in reality, it's just sign of um something that's isn't that important, zoning in on the micro, or going really, really broad to the macro, and in that, in that sense, they might be fudging the facts a little. Again, I'm not confirming or denying this Masonic connection. I certainly have no idea how Jerry B. has responded to that. Anytime you hear somebody say, avoid this at all costs, that's a large red flag. It sounds like what we hear today, that there's no stolen election. As I said, very easy to tie this into the political world, right? Just ignore people who say such things. Nothing has ever been accomplished by ignoring possibilities. That's the difference between people who say and people who do. Um, it has to be a balance. Oh yeah, be on the lookout for people who are, um, frauds people who are liars, people who are trying to pull the wool over your eyes, people who are trying to deceive you. Let's not kid ourselves. Those people do exist. But I think that I will hold on to that card, and I will play it sometimes. Again, not about this specific theory, just because we're talking about it. Sometimes I'm going to tell people, hey, that's ridiculous, I'm not going to talk about that. Like, like say, for example, if someone's like, all right, well, Jack the Ripper was committed, um, th those crimes were committed by a bunch of ghosts, in phantoms, and people in the 1920s and 30s knew about it, that's why illustrators drew him that way, then people forgot that the ghosts and the phantoms committed those murders. I even, I wouldn't even tell the person that wrong, I would just say, I'm not going to entertain your theory, I'm not going to investigate any further into that. And the, the masons and ghosts are totally different, but I think you can get where it's coming from. Jerry B has a Another response, Black Box Online Radio, something I probably should have told you. The story involving the Masons is unpopular, so if you're looking for something to please the multitude, that is not the story that you want to use. If you want a story that answers the questions, and I advise you to look deeper into this, most everyone 
who puts down this theory has never looked into it and knows next to nothing about it. They need to learn the subject before they try and debunk it. As for me, I would love to hear an ongoing discussion about the Ripper murders to the Zodiac. You know, that really is what it should be. Yeah, I've talked about Jack the Ripper. Yeah, I've talked about the Zodiac. But an ongoing discussion from the Ripper to the Zodiac, because bear in mind, we also have the Texarkana Moonlight murders in 1946, which is a very similar set of crimes. And the Moonlight murders occurred in the winter and the spring. Jack the Ripper operated in the summer and the fall. And the Zodiac Killer hadn't come on the scene yet in 1946. The Zodiac didn't emerge until 1968. Some people say 1966, but I horribly disagree with them. And then, um, you can see that maybe somebody in 1946, if those crimes are indeed real and there's no hoax going on, it'd be quite difficult to have a Texarkana hoax. But that almost seems like someone is recreating Jack the Ripper, but trying to come full cycle, full circle, in using the cycle of the seasons is what I meant to say. But what I said to uh, Jerry B was, Hi Jerry, I'm welcome to discussing most theories, popular or not. If someone wants to challenge them in the comments section, I'm game for that too. And then Jerry said something that I thought was very interesting when he's like, I welcome any challenge, but the problem is no one will accept the challenge. They're quick to say how they are sure the story is bunk, but when you ask them to show evidence for their words, they fall off the earth. Oh yes, and that definitely happens too. I mean, and let, but you're not going to convince everyone. I will tell you that firsthand. You will not convince everyone of your Ripper theory or your Zodiac theory, but... The whole point is, I will use the card at some time and tell people I'm not going to discuss your theory anymore because I do think that it's too far out and ridiculous to explore. But looking at Masonic connections in Jack the Ripper, I don't necessarily think that that is too ridiculous. I think that um, some of the more ridiculous claims out there are when people immediately try to involve aliens or I already said ghost, right? Or they're trying to say, well, maybe Bigfoot did it or something like that. Oh, but I, I mentioned the Moonlight Murders. You know how Ted Cruz is the worst Zodiac killer suspect out there? Because he was, like, born in 1970 or something? Well, somebody once wrote into the comments section on this channel saying that the, the Moonlight Murders in 1946 were committed by Ross Perot. Yeah, yeah, I'm really going to investigate that. No, no, I'm not. I mean, like... I, that person was being sarcastic, I'm sure. But um, the first episode that I ever did about Jack the Ripper here on this channel was on the H.H. Holmes connection. I did two episodes about H.H. Holmes back when I was just doing a lot more with serial killers in 2019. These are the older days when I had the black box with the pink bubbles on it. And I did one that was a more comprehensive episode on H.H. Holmes, but then I explored the Ripper connection. And Progween59 says... I still think Jack the Ripper was either a member of British royalty or protected by British royalty. I have no evidence to back up my opinion. It just seems the most plausible. This also relates to a set of theories that the final victim in the Ripper murders, Mary Kelly, was the target. She was the center, the epicenter of the Ripper crimes, and that a member of the royal family was having relations with Mary Kelly, and maybe they got married, maybe she got pregnant, and they wanted to put an end to this um, situation that could have turned into a disgrace for the royal family in their minds. So they had a series of unrelated murders committed so that they could have Mary Kelly murdered, and she would 
have been murdered by Jack the Ripper, not by assassins or doctors working for the British Crown. That is all theoretical, but if you've looked into the Ripper case at all, I'm sure you've heard something about that, or that there is someone associated with nobility who is committing these actions. With the Zodiac Killer, I don't really find too many things like that. I mean, we definitely have the CIA connection and the, um, what else is that? Oh, yes, the, uh, political elites can be involved, but any type of member of some old aristocratic bloodline, not to my knowledge. But um, after I did the episode on Long Liz Stride, Jerry B. went back and listened to the one on H.H. H. Holmes, the Jack the Ripper H.H. H. Holmes connection, and Jerry B. says, I have Jeff Budget's book. Hard as it is to believe that Jeff's theory that H.H. H. Holmes convinced a prison guard to take his place, and that's the Holmes place at the gallows, that was before they found out that Holmes's body was actually in a grave. That crazy theory, along with the fact that he contradicts himself in the book, should be enough to tell you that you can't trust Jeff Mudgett. That's the guy saying that H.H. Um, H. Holmes and Jack the Ripper are one and the same. See, that's a theory that I don't have to investigate too much. I think that that is preposterous. But as far as H.H. H. Holmes goes, I would much rather learn about him as a serial killer and to learn about how this type of serial killer behavior has been going on since the 1800s. One point that I do remember about H.H. H. Holmes is that he was a middle child, and I am a middle child, and everything they say about problematic middle children is true. I will tell you that firsthand. And if anyone would like to hear more about that, it's called H.H. H. Holmes' Jack the Ripper Connection. It is available here on this channel. As I said, it's an old-fashioned black box recording, but there is... And the last thing I would like to do is I would like to talk about the book Ripper Confidential by Tom Westcott, W-E-S-C-O-T-T. -T. I appeared on the Professor Dad channel last weekend with Thomas Henry Horde and Evan from Texas, and they were talking a lot about the Ripper and the books that have been written by Tom Westcott, and this one is called Ripper Confidential, New Research on the Whitechapel Murders, and um, it is even a part two. But I would just like to read the description of this because it was something that was recommended to me. You guys have recommended so many excellent things about the Ripper, and I started out as a as an absolute newcomer, or maybe what you would say like a false beginner when I thought I knew absolutely nothing, but then throughout the true crime world I found, okay, yeah, I can see this H.H. H. Holmes connection to Jack the Ripper. I mean, I can at least listen to what this guy Jeff Mudgett has to say and um, build that upon some other true crime knowledge. But let's read the description here of Ripper Confidential by Tom Westcott. Groundbreaking history and exciting investigative journalism combine in a work jam-packed, newly unearthed finds and fresh insights that pull us deeper into the world of Jack the Ripper and closer to the man himself. Westcott does not promote a suspect, but instead comprehensively investigates the murders of Polly Nichols and Elizabeth Stride, bringing new light and medical evidence, crucial new material, and important witnesses, and revealed for the first time the name of the woman who may have met Jack the Ripper and survived to tell the tale. Also discussed in the book, Charles Lechmere, as I said, false beginner, recently named as a suspect in the Jack the Ripper documentary Conspiracy the Misting Evidence, is restored to his proper place in history as an innocent witness, and maybe one day I'll get his name right, Walter Sickert. This is the guy who is um, in those comments about the Masons that I, I was reading off. The subject of Patricia Cornwell's Jack the Ripper books was not the Ripper, but is revealed to have only been one of several artists and poets who may have been acquainted with the victim Mary Kelly. 
Bruce Robinson's Jack the Ripper book, They All Love Jack, controversially endorsed the myth that the fruiterer, oh my gosh, British English, like, the French is better, Matthew Pegger sold grapes to Liz Stride, which were later found on her hand. Around this was constructed the intricate police conspiracy. In Ripper Confidential, the truth is exposed that these events are proved beyond doubt to have never taken place. I do have to say the timeline around Liz Stride is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, I said this in the last episode. I think there's a 90% chance that Liz Stride was not murdered by the actual Ripper, or that this whole double event took place where Liz Stride and Catherine Eddowes are murdered on the same night. Instead, it seems like two murders took place in a city, in a city that was experiencing very intense poverty. And that is an example of somebody taking credit for it, because this perpetrator who is following Liz Stride along is spending an enormous amount of time with her. And then, what was she murdered? Her throat was slashed. And then the guy got spooked, so then he just ran away and found someone to murder in 15 minutes. I mean, if he could have found a victim that easily, why was he spending all that time with Liz Stride? I mean, I think it's well over an hour. I'd have to go back and double-check the timeline, but... I mean, like, if he if he needs that much time to prepare himself, but he could have just murdered somebody in 15 minutes, why wouldn't he have just done that in the first place? If it is true that it's about the mutilations and not even the murders themselves, what do you... Like, what's going on? It seems like two murders took place in a very similar geographic proximity and then someone just provided an explanation about how they could be linked a fictitious connection between two real facts look out for that in the world of conspiracy and the next question is was elizabeth stride a ripper victim for the first time all the myths are cleared away and the facts are cleared up in great detail the contemporary investigators speak out from the past and tell us that they thought one of the ripper's most enigmatic and controversial clues was the chalk written message on the wall in galston street did the ripper write it and what may have it, what may have it actually said and what might it actually have said I don't speak English well today. A comprehensive look is taken at the Burner Street witness Israel Schwartz. Why did he disappear within weeks from the written record, and why was he not a legitimate witness? Now, the other point, though, that um, Evan from Texas and Thomas Warren were trying to tell me is that Tom Westcott also believes that the murder of Mary Kelly was committed by a, a different perpetrator. So you can see that there are crimes taking place, and um, this guy is also seeming to uh, doubt that Liz Stride was a victim of the Ripper, as as I mostly do. As I said, I don't believe that the same person murdered um, Liz Stride and Catherine Eddowes. If you're going to say that it's all gang activity, well, I mean, that answers the question right there, that, um, that these gangs are committing the murders, and then people like Fred Best, the... Um, journalists are writing letters taking credit for it and they're creating this illusion of the ripper but the point is many people have their theories about what happened what actually happened though that's what why the true crime world is so appealing because you don't want these people who are crafting delusional arguments to have their own brand you actually want to know the answers who was jack the ripper who was the zodiac killer who was the phantom killer from texarkana what is actually going on well what do you think about any of these theories and is there one that I said that you thought was particularly interesting to you? Is there one that stood out to you the most? And do you think that the Ripper hoax theory is plausible, that it's just journalists who are writing in these cards, taking credit for murders that they didn't commit? 
can I say cards? Because it's not only the Dear Boss letter, the From Hell letter, you also have things like the Saucy Jack postcard and so on. And there are actually up to 700 pieces of writing that could be attributed to Jack the Ripper. Or do you think that it's a member of the royal family who wanted to silence somebody? But that narrative has been used a lot. We even see that in the Zodiac Killer mystery. You can go back to some of my older episodes, particularly the one on Zodiac Merchant Marine Theory, that's what it's called. And someone said in the comments section just that it's talking about the murder of Darlene Farron and this whole thing about how Darlene Farron was murdered and a series of unconnected or unrelated murders happened to cover it up to make it look like, oh, there's a serial killer on the loose, when in reality, one person was the actual target one person that was actually because of a solid motive and the other people were just murdered to confuse the authorities and then they said that has been used in the jack the ripper lore for some time now and that it was mary kelly the final victim she was the true target there was a true motive for going after mary kelly and these other women were murdered to um once again to confuse the authorities confuse popular culture and um public perception and all of that what do you think about any of these um possibilities out there or the hh holmes connection maybe you think it was indeed hh holmes please share your ideas in the comment section below and if you would like to download the audio of this program for free you can do that at blackbox online radio at aol.com and you can always visit those other pages amazon teespring and such if you'd like to follow the show you can do that on facebook my personal facebook is also in the description box as well as going over to instagram blackboxnet88 on instagram for the bonus podcast and please tune in for just a general discussion tomorrow we'll talk about everything under the sun okay until next time